трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут, На зеленом ковре стадиона разнообразно. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. Sorry we've been away for a while. Uh, various things, life gets in the way, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. But um, anyway, we're back now, so that's the important thing. And joining me, your host, uh, Thomas Giles, as per usual, um, we've got David Sanson. Hello. And, of course, we have James Nichols. Yeah, good to be here. Good stuff. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this podcast, actually, guys, because I think we've got some fantastic topics lined up uh, just to sort of... And to be fair, we always sort of manage to create a new topic in the podcast, which isn't pre-planned, which is sort of why I like it, because we tend to bounce around a bit. Anyway, so um, today we're going to be discussing uh, the latest sort of crisis in Russian football, and you like, if you like, and that's Amcar selling their match to uh, Locomotive. We'll go into the depths of that. Then we're going to go back to matters more on the field, I suppose, and that's going to look ahead to tomorrow's clash between Arsenal and Siska Moskva. And then we are going to look at the race for sixth after David, of course, who's on the podcast, wrote a fantastic piece on the website. And uh, we're going to look at that race for that last European spot. So uh, let's kick things off then. Let's go with the, the Amcar situation first. So just for the uh, the listeners who don't know, Amcar, of course, we know have been in financial ruin for, for a while. And there were threats that they weren't being able to finish the season, but this actually stems from a problem with their pitch, which uh, which is apparently all weather, but apparently it's, it seems not because they were forced to uh, move their match and Locomotive, who they were meant to be playing, essentially said, we will buy the match off you. And therefore, they've taken advantage of the situation that Amcar find themselves in financially, said uh, Amcar can keep all the profits and the like. So therefore, Amcar were like, well, yeah, we'll do that. And we'd rather do that than have to go to Ufa, which is apparently the nearest sort of Premier League standard stadium. I mean... David, it's just when you've got when Russian football's trying to make a name for itself, and we've t- we'll talk about the increase in coefficient rankings later when we come to that piece that you did on the sixth place. Stories like this do not serve it well. No, I mean you look at any other league in Europe, and you say how many games have been moved this season. Certainly in England, in the Premier League, I can't think of any that have been relocated. This season, even the first game this season that's been moved. Uh, this is just the most high profile because of the way it was moved. We had a couple of games moved to neutral stadiums, which is sort of acceptable, I guess, although not ideal. You know, you want home and home games and away games if possible. Uh, but this one obviously came with a whole bunch of different circumstances involving, uh, you know, your ticket money, uh, the venue, obviously the local top of the league and wanted that extra advantage of getting an extra home game. Uh, of course, it didn't exactly pay off in the end. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not something that's going to go down well uh, if it was to so- if it was something that would make mainstream media in the in the West. Yeah, I mean, David, like you said, it did did make sort of a lot of Western coverage. Did have this, and uh, obviously, you lose the result there. Just for the listeners, I'm not sure I mentioned it in my introduction there. Amcar actually won two one in uh, their technical home game in Loco who were playing at home. Very weird. But James, just your thoughts on this as well. I'm not surprised, not surprised in the least. It was rumours at first, before Amkar sold the game to Loco, that they wanted to either go to Ufa or Kavarovsk, which is, I mean, Ufa kind of makes a little bit of sense with its proximity to Pirm. But to, to, why would Amkar want to move the game to Kavarovsk in the first place before they did then eventually sell it to Loco? But, I just agree. It's just unfortunate that I'm completely and utterly unsurprised by this. 
like Russian football is just blighted by financial stability. And it, it seems to me now that every couple of weeks there's more stories of insolvency and huge debts that are springing up seemingly out of nowhere. And that's because so many clubs are so badly run in this financial structure that we've got. And if you look, if you look at the club ownership of Russian Premier League teams, I think it's 60%, it's 57% of the whole Premier League is directly and indirectly owned by the government. Only seven sides are privately owned, and that's Angie, Siska Moscow, Dinamo, Krasnodar, Rubin, Spartak and Tosna. So until... Sorry, 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 James, very very quickly, just to... Sorry, I will let you get back on, but I'd even argue against Dinamo there, given their ties with the um, the banking industry and the, their subsequent ties with the government, you know. Because it is technically VTP Bank, they are technically a private company, as opposed to, say, Gazprom is, state, is directly state-owned, whereas VTP aren't directly state-owned, it's indirectly state-owned, but even then it's murky. But like six, possibly seven clubs are privately or privately owned in the in the in the league. And that's just the Premier League. And you f- the further down you go, the even worse it gets. So we can't exactly these stories of this financial instability is why is why this structure is wrong. Yes, this time round, technically the pitch problem wasn't due to finances. It was actually just due to the sheer horrendous weather over this co- over the course of the winter. But we can't forget during that whole winter, Pierre have been in a battle, Ankar, sorry, been in a battle with the local Permsky cry over ownership. The majority of the, the money they've spent this this winter has went on just sustenance. And I can't see any way why I mean, Ankar would survive any longer, if I'm honest. I know they are, they have came to a compromise until the end of the season with the, with the regional government to survive. But this is exactly why, this is exactly one of the symptoms of that problem. They had to sell their home game to Lokomotiv Moscow and then somehow came up with a victory, which is probably the most surprising result of the season from my point of view. Yeah, David, I mean, a lot of blame can be attached to Amcar here and James talks about the ownership problems. That's obviously a massive problem. But part of me, I do have slight sympathy with the club in the fact that they want to, you know, be on a decent financial footing and therefore will take any sort of money they can get so from my point of view i would actually attach more blame to the russian premier league and the russian football union here yeah i think it should definitely have been managed better i mean you basically just let two of the clubs come to their own agreement and the league just said yeah that's fine uh i can't remember any direct comments but i'm sure some of the other large teams zenit and spartak couldn't have been overly joyed with the uh with the move moving of the fixture um but, but that's just how it is. I mean, I've seen today uh, rumours that the Amkar-Rubin game, uh, Amkar wanted to move to Khabarovsk, just like they wanted to move the locomotive game there, uh, as the pitch still isn't going to be ready. Um, and as James said, you know, there has been a rough winter. There's been other pitches affected. Rubin's instead themselves, um, they played that uh, awful game on their pitch a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think it was against Spartak, which the pitch was just in a terrible state and their next home game against Zach McGrosny is also being moved but just to the central stadium in Kazan, their, their old arena before the Kazan arena. So it, it's it's obviously not just an Amgol problem in terms of pitch quality uh, but when you come back to obviously how the whole situation came about, you know, there was definitely a back, some backhand deals going on to allow, to that, to allow that to have happened. I mean, James, your views there on sort of, because you've spoken a lot about the club and the same point I made to David there, really, 
and we've talked a lot about and David mentions the backhand deals and they're hardly rare in Russian football. <laughs> but yeah. I mean what what would you I mean the obvious thing to say is that the Russian Football Union and the Russian Premier League should not have allowed this to go ahead. No. Because no, sorry no. sorry just sorry James just to sort of quickly say because I I think I saw the other day that Spartak are now saying well we'd like our game yeah. against Amkar at home. That is the problem. It opens up a can of worms. I mean, neither Spartak nor Zenit or Suska or Krasnodar will be happy with Loco being able to play at home. As it stands, the result itself is a little bit unconsequential. But the worst thing is, is that the RFPL rules completely and utterly allow this. They, they, they stood by because they set these rules for where exactly the situation is allowed to happen. Essentially, where in the event of an unavailability of the home the home part, the home pitch, the home field. The game's supposed to be moved to a reserve pitch. Uh, I believe Amkar's reserve pitch is Ufa, Niftyanik Stadium. But because they were playing at home to Zenit, the, the, the rules literally state they can play anywhere in the country as long as it's a certified Premier League stadium. So it's it's quite insane like, that the, that they they've just let this like this rule sit there just bandy about. The amount of abuse that that could could take because of that is going to be dangerous. If I remember rightly, I believe this happened once before. I think it was 2014-15 season when Ufa sold their home game to Zenit. And it was the other way around. It was basically Zenit paid Ufa a lot of money for Zenit to allow them to play at home and celebrate winning the title in front of their own fans. And it, this is the first time it's happened since then. But that was kind of a dead rubber. It was the last match of the season. Zenit had already won the league by that point. And it was it was obviously dodgy, but it didn't have any adverse effect on any other team. My worry now is that, is, is likewise echoing what you previous said, is what is the adverse effect going to be going on forwards? Amkar aren't a very, aren't a very good team. The, 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 near the, I mean, before the weekend, I, I personally didn't expect them to pick up another win this season. So when they come up against... Other title rivals like Spartak, who are just two points behind Logo as it stands, what's then going to happen? Because I wouldn't be surprised if the RFPL just sat back and did nothing again. Yeah, you mentioned this about happening uh, in 2014. I do. I actually remember that happening. I hadn't thought of it until you just mentioned it now, but I do have a vague memory of it. But I'm pretty sure we saw a similar situation with Tom Tomps last season. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, and it was Locomotive again then as well. Yeah. Um, they won six one or six one at home, even though it should have been uh, the Tom Tomps game. Uh, I don't think that was pitch quality though. I think that was genuinely that weather. was purely fine. Was that was that not purely financial? But, um, I was. I remember it being the last game before Christmas, uh, and I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was just down to weather because then after Christmas, uh, Tom Tomps started playing all their reserve players. Ah, uh, that, that yeah yeah that was it. I remember now. But I mean. But, You've talked about the result, David, and you, of course, did as well, James, but is it the fact that Amkar won, does that mean it's now going to get brushed under the carpet? It's actually, for Russian football, it's bad that Amkar won in that respect. Would you would you go along with that? Yeah, I mean, you would have, for justice to have been done, sort of, you'd have half hoped that... Uh, you know, it would have been another six-one turnover. But Amcar, obviously, they must be, you know, they must be like rubbing their hands together. They can't believe what's just happened. They've sold a game for X amount of money, and then actually got a win out of it against the top, 
team in the whole division uh, away from home. It is. They, they just obviously can't believe their luck right now. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's it's just such an odd situation going on right there. And James, I mean, just to sort of close this topic off about the soul match, it's it's easy to say, oh yeah, the Russian Football Union or Russian Premier League should do something about this. But let's be honest, in Russian football, that doesn't happen. So think of it in a more realistic term. How? What would you say is the solution for this not happening in the future? Is it is there a responsibility on the club's half to say no? We actually want to play fair, essentially, and then the Russian Premier League to back that up. Well, the responsibility should be on the clubs, but the problem is, is if you've got a team like Amcar who have their financial problems, huge financial problems, or literally within weeks if they don't get this victory or within weeks of going down at the Fena L, the biggest division in the world, one of the most expensive divisions in the world, which will only tenfold make their financial problems even worse. So then you've got to ask is, well, the impetus probably should be on the clubs, but why should it be on the clubs? I don't... I, th- I think every single owner and administrator and apparatic in every single Russian club will squeeze every single advantage they can get out, not to get relegated in the Fena L. In truth, for me, it's a far, far bigger problem. And I've mentioned before, is just the football in the nation is just broken root and stem. It just needs a systemic overhaul and reformation. Like, from the top to the very bottom. And one of the problems is that, as what you mentioned earlier, it's just that, that kind of, like, <laughs> the issue with the nation of where everything just gets swept under the carpet just for another caretaker to unearth them. And then, once again, just sweep them under the carpet again. It's actually a very Soviet mentality where everything's perfect and nothing is wrong. It's a kind of it's it's like eight years of breeding denial and, and an inability to accept the fate and what real problems. You just don't address it and don't ever do anything about it. The solution probably should be that the RFU and the RFPL need to stamp down upon this, actually figure out a proper systemic calendar where they can avoid these weather issues and move on from there. But the real solution, what we're going to see on paper, is going to be that they're just going to ignore it. Enjoy the World Cup in the summer and probably not do anything about it for another five years. Make a lot of money from that World Cup as well. Don't forget some of those people. <laughs> but uh, I think I think your Soviet analogy is a great place to leave that. That's I think that's fantastic. <laughs> but so let's move on to tomorrow and hopefully more promising things in Russian football because we've got the Europa League and that we've got uh, CSK Moscow travelling to Arsenal. Now, David, I'll come to you first. Um, the, I might be about to embarrass myself incredibly but i'm pretty sure you're going tomorrow aren't you yes yes so and i'm also an arsenal fan ah so okay so <laughs> let's test your russian football loyalties because i thought you had another team as well as arsenal as well uh well if it if it comes to russia then uh i'm a ruben kazan fan but no but i mean an english I team don't you? i thought you had an english oh, team no. as well no i'm all, always arsenal always have been was it like maidstone or reading <laughs> Oh, well, my hometown is uh, Maidenhead. Uh, that keep, an eye out. keep an eye out for the result, at least. Uh, okay, so let's, let's test your Russian... Are you, are you fully going with Arsenal tomorrow, then, in terms of support? Yeah, I mean, I'll be sat in the Arsenal end, uh, and I'm, all, I'm always back Arsenal, especially since uh, we haven't got much else going for us at the moment. Uh, but I'm just excited. It will be my first time uh, seeing a Russian team play live in the flesh. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, very excited to uh, go along, but... And and to see certain players like 
I'd like. I'm really excited to see Golovin play in the flesh. Jagoev, Akinfeev. You know, these are players who are going to go down. You know, in Russian football history. Uh, so it'll be it'll be really cool to see them. Uh, and I I will have half of me rooting for Suska. Obviously, they've done really well to get this far. Um, you know, boosting the coefficients off a bit. If they could even just get a draw in one of the games, you know, that will every little helps. But uh, you know. Uh- I have to hope for Arsenal, I'm afraid. Yeah, I have to warn you now, David, and I'm sure others will agree with me, but Siska is your first team to watch live. It's... Sorry, mate, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and away from home. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, the fact you talk about Golovin and stuff, and actually, um, let's touch on that, and I'll, I'll stay with you on this, David, because I think you've been quite close to the ground on this with the, the transfer rumour, we've constantly seen him linked to Arsenal. And I think Arsene Wenger was even asked about it in his press conference today, I think. Yeah. And uh, he's basically said, oh, I'm not going to talk about transfers. So where where do you stand on this? I know it's, uh, it's sort of a much-talked-about topic, but I think it's worth bringing yeah. it now. I mean, from what from what I've heard and read and all that stuff, uh, they've certainly scouted him on a great number of occasions uh, into the double figures. And there was a lot of talk that uh, they made of made the offer maybe even just an inquiry last summer i don't know how much that how much truth is in that um but obviously he's a he's a very very good player um he's come on a lot this season um especially in europe he's put in some really good performances i remember when he first broke through and he got chucked in the deep end in euro 2016 into this deep midfield role and he just wasn't ready for it at that stage he must have been what 19 at that point and it, it just wasn't his time to play in that role at that bigger stage but he's really grown into that role over the, over the last season and a half um, you know how Zhigoyev was moved in from the attacking midfielder role back into the deep deep line midfielder Golovin has made that tra- same tradition in such a short space of time and as such a young player still um, he can really control the tempo of the game and, uh, against Lyon uh, he was terrific in, particularly in the away leg where they won the 3-2 uh, he scored that fantastic goal to open the open the scoring over there, and uh, he certainly has the ability to play uh, in England, you know, Germany, Spain, one of the one of the top divisions. Whether it's at a top club or not well, remains to be seen, but he certainly, I think, is worth a gamble at one of the uh, in one of those leagues. And, uh, hopefully, at the World Cup, he can show off a little bit more of what he can do, or even just against Arsenal. You know, if he bangs in a goal against Arsenal, that's going to get everyone talking straight away you know with all with all the links that have happened before he scores a goal the links are going to just be rife again in the papers over the next few weeks i can hear his agents uh till already rattling there <laughs> if that happens but um james looking at looking at the game itself i'm thinking cisco on a good run at the moment three three wins on the bounce including that uh victory and leon that david mentions and also i'm thinking Arsenal, how much confidence will Siska take from that Ostersund's result against Arsenal? Oh yeah, I mean this is this is Siska's most successful uh, year in Europe since they won the trophy thirteen years ago. They've won, they've won what five of the seven away games this season, and Ostersund kind of it's a little bit of a blueprint to show Siska how to do it. And did Ostersund done exactly how Siska have been playing for the last five years? Like the, the, it's like kind of the Cisco way is to sit deep, solid defence, and hit on the counter. Now, obviously, that's five years ago was a lot said, a lot easier said than done because the 
younger age of the players, but they will take a lot of confidence from that Osterson result. And especially actually from the Arsenal performance at the weekend, they may have won 3-0 against Stoke at the end, but Arsenal were absolutely horrendous throughout 60-70 minutes. They were truly awful and were bailed out late by a couple of Aubameyang goals and a Lacazette penalty. And uh, Arsenal themselves have obviously been under, and Wenger have been under some heavy criticism this year, which is through the sheer poor performances. And I think it's what the amongst some of the lowest away wins in the Premier League this season, in, in 2018 at least. And it's, this isn't the same Arsenal as what you'd expect a year ago. And even key to that, there will be without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's uh, ineligible. So he's cup tied and ineligible. So I think it will be close, but Siska have no chance home or away. I'm sorry, Siska. I, I just can't see Siska getting uh, getting anything out of either leg. Personally, I mean, even with the problems, Arsenal are just an absolute utter class above and are rightfully one of the favourites for Europe for the for the competition. Yeah, the other thing to bear in mind, when because uh, I made the Ostersons comparison there, David, of course, I'm pretty sure you, you'll be able to clarify this, that Arsenal played a weakened team against Ostersons, didn't they? And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, yeah. did they rotate at the weekend against Stoke with this match in mind? There, yeah, there was some rotation yeah. for Ostersons. It was the uh, second leg. We'd already won the first leg, I feel like 3-0 away or something like that. Um, so there was already, they were sort of, a bit, I think there was some complacency there. They uh, they hit us with those two goals in the first half within a minute of each other, I think it was. And then uh, we got one back in the second half. Uh, but it, yeah, it was rotated. Um, and there was a rotation on the weekend because I believe Wenger wants to, for the first time in the competition, play almost a full-strength uh, team uh, for the home leg. Uh, but as someone who's coming into the game knowing the form of both teams, you know, Arsenal have been on a decent run you know that I don't think they've lost for a, a few games now which is something um, but Suska's away form in Europe's been really really good this year I mean they've got they had that away win in Lyon they had that terrific away win uh, at Benfica as well and I believe they got a result in Basel potentially I can't recall that one uh, but those two wins alone you know Benfica and, uh, and Lyon are really they're really difficult places to go and really good teams um, and the fact they've managed to get away wins there is well, it was definitely a surprise to us. I remember when the, when the Benfica win happened, we were all shocked. Um, and then the Leon win last you know, just a couple of weeks ago, even more so. So I think there's some more hope on the away game than potentially expected. I'll certainly be going into this one a little bit more cautious than, than the away game. Then obviously Arsenal's away form is also terrible, so that could be even more interesting. I think it'll be closer than closer than some might expect. Although in my heart, I still think that I know what the issues Cisco can have and what Arsenal can do to exploit them. Um, so I would still back an Arsenal win, but I would be ready, ready to eat my own words if it doesn't happen. Yeah, I was just sort of going to come on to that because I was thinking, I'm sure, and you'll be able to sort of talk about this as well, David, where the I'm sure Arsenal fans sort of don't, obviously not many of them know much about Russian football and why would they, of course. But um, they, they've probably got Cisco in the draw for easy peasy. And the fact that you sort of know a lot about Russian football, does that make you a bit more of a pessimist? Uh, that's the, the theme of these podcasts, obviously, pessimism and optimism. And yeah, I guess so. I know what can happen. I know the quality they've got individually in some of those players. I know that, you know, if they get a free kick 30 yards from a goal, that Vitinho can whack that into the top corner. I know if Golovin gets the ball inside the box, he can turn and put that in the top corner. But then I also know that 
if a long ball goes to the top, Lacazette's beating those defenders any day of the week. So it, it goes both ways. I know that I know what's what can happen and I know what can't happen. Uh, you know, I'm not going to put myself on the same level as the Arsenal scouts who have been doing the research because I'm sure they know a lot more than I do of where to exploit the team and where they can be exploited. Uh, but I'll certainly be in the stands probably a bit less optimistic than the fans that are around me. And have you had have you had to sort of get a couple of questions? I'm sorry, James, I'm leaving you out of this, but uh, just <laughs> just a couple of questions. Have, a, have you try had to sort of convince your fellow Arsenal fans that it might not be as easy as it likes? And also, has Arsene Wenger been on the bell? Uh, no, and no, not had any. I've not had any Arsenal fans uh, asking actually. Funnily enough, most of my friends seem to support Tottenham, uh, and. Now, unfortunately, no calls from Wenger uh, regarding this tie. Oh, that's a shame. But, um, James, I'll come to you then, just before we round off this uh, this Siska topic, if you like. So, your general thoughts going into the game, and, of course, uh, of course a prediction as well. Yeah. Well, I think, like as I agree, I think, like I said, it'll be quite interesting one to look for in this game. Obviously, since Aubameyang's came in, he's, like I said, completely went out of the team, and Aubameyang's kind of hit the ground running. But, of course, he can't play in Europe. So, He's, he's he arrived under heavy fanfare. I mean, what was fifty, sixty million pound fee, and it's not really came to any fruition. Partly due to injury, partly due to not being able to play. But he's he's without a doubt he's disappointed. But his physical presence, his ability on the shoulder, his pure pace, and his goal scoring instincts is four huge things that terrify me when I look at the Suska defence. Now, Sergei Gnevchevich played at the weekend, and he. He's, what, he's about 800 years old now, so he barely plays more than once a week. So I don't think Ignashevich will be playing. Uh, so that's probably... And obviously, Victor Varsian and Fernandez both out injured. Uh, Kirill Nababkin is also uh, suspended, picking up two yellow cards. So it seems like it's probably going to be the Berzutsky brother twins and possibly Pontus Vernblum in central defence. I mean, Vernblum could literally could go anywhere. I mean, he's played throughout the spine of the team. He could... Equally be as unsurprising to play a centre-back, centre-mid or centre-forward. But Fatinia was rested at the weekend. Uh, Ignashevich played at the weekend. So I'd personally expect, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Vern Bloom came back into defence again. As a pure counterbalance to try and stop Lacazette. And I think that's what Gontrego's going to go for. And that's a fascinating, absolutely fascinating uh, tie between the two of them. I mean... I think Vernbloom is one of the better players in the league, but he's an absolute bastard. And I mean that in the best of ways. Like He's an absolute bastard. And the fact that he's just, he just gets those niggles in, he knows exactly when to tackle somebody, when to hit somebody, when to get the get the last foot in, in dirty, in the, in the worst time, in the worst way, but the best time possible. He's an absolute master of the art at it. He's a player that you'd love to have in your team. And, and most teams in Russia would say this. And I think he's, but he's, he's going to be key in this if he does play in defence, which I'm predicting. But that said, Arsenal is going to have too much quality on the day, and I think Siska maybe maybe get the away goal. I think probably two nil, two one Arsenal, one of the two. You'd certainly have uh, Van Bloom at Sunderland at the moment, wouldn't you? Oh God, I could have anybody at Sunderland right now. Anybody, just give them two legs and they can kick a ball and they'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sorry to remind you of the the dire situation. We've got three wins on the bounce, by the way, but that's that's a different story. But um, David, so what's your prediction for this match then? Um, I haven't thought about prediction. I think oh, I would go something conservative as well. I'd probably uh, 
go for a two nil or a two one as well. I think that's that's not a bad safe a safe bet. Um, you know, Lacazette even without confidence, you know, he did put a goal away on the weekend, but it was just a penalty. You know, he's going to have that pace. You've still got, uh, depending on who plays behind, you've still got Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Wilbeck, you know, Ramsey, Awobi, all of those players who can make good runs in behind that that defence. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting. It depends how compact CSK play, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll go for a, a comfortable but tight 2-0 or 2-1. I'm surprised that you've both gone for the away goal, actually. It's uh, just based on the away form, I think, for me. Their, their away yeah. form in Europe has been surprisingly good. Uh, so who's to say they can't do it again? Were you going to come in there, James? Or... Yeah, agreed. It's it's exactly the reason why. I mean, five out of seven wins away from home is almost unbelievable for Siska. Been so poor away from home for so long. Uh, obviously, I, I don't even think the danger is Musa and Vitinha up front. The danger is right bang in the middle of midfield. Zagoyev... Golovin playing against a team that he's been linked with so long. I think there could be money on there for Golovin to score. But I think the most underrated player on this Suska team, and probably one of the most underrated players in the whole of the Russian Premier League, is Bubres Natko. When he plays, Suska just turn it on. His ability to play, make and recycle possession, it just brings to the to their midfield a whole different dimension. It's completely different the way Vernbloom does it. And that's why Goncharenka finding that, being able to shoehorn all four of those centre midfielders into the formation has been key for Siska recently in their upturn of form. So I think they will get the goal, but ultimately it's, it's Arsenal's tie. So let's... And when they played... Oh, go on. Oh, sorry. No, go when, on, they played, uh, when they played at United early in the season, obviously they played Manchester United in the group stage. Uh, the away... I mean, obviously they got traps 4-1 at home, but they did get an away goal uh, at Old Trafford as well. I think they actually scored the first goal in the game, I want to say, in the first half. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they've got pedigree for scoring away in England this season. So, uh, definitely something to consider. Just before we move on from the topic, actually, David, I wanted to ask you just thought of it now. Um, any idea on uh, how ticket sales are going for the match? Um, well, Arsenal's Europa League games this season have usually seen when I've watched them on TV. They've always had quite a few empty seats. Um, but whenever I went to check tickets, um, there wasn't many available. Uh, it's all depending on how many of the season tickets holders turn up and uh, uh, how many were sold on, I guess. Um, but it seemed like sell- the sales were pretty good. Um, but I'm expecting there to be some empty seats still. Uh, there were empty seats against AC Milan. There's going to be even more against Cisco Moscow, I think. So you heard it here. There might be seats tomorrow. So if you want to get down, if you're a Russian football fan in England or preferably be in sort of the London vicinity, if you like, or make the journey down from the northeast, I'm sure you'd love to do that, James. Oh, yeah, I'd love to, but unfortunately, work got in the way. No, nah, well, to be fair, it's this guy as well. But anyway, uh, there, it seems there are tickets still available, so do do try and get down if you fancy a glimpse of Russian football while it's while it's here. Um, so let's stay on the European theme now, and um, we're going to look at the race for sixth place. So with Russia's increasing coefficient ranking that we were sort of touched upon earlier, Russia will be given an extra European place next season, which is the sixth spot in the league. Now, there's quite a few teams in the running for this. And like I said, David put a fantastic piece on the website um, recently about that. And at the time of writing with David's piece, there were six teams in the race for sixth, which has a nice ring to it. But now we've got seven. So uh, we've got Ufa, Arsenal, Tula, uh, Ural, uh, Rubin, Rostov, Ahmad and uh, Dinamo Moscow. So, David, let's, I may as well come straight to you on this because it was your piece. So let's just give the, the listeners a bit more of a background on, the, on this race then. 
So a very important point is it's only a race for sixth if Spartak Moscow win the cup. If Spartak Moscow don't win the cup, then the team who wins, which is either going to be Tosno, Shinik, uh, Yaroslav or Avangan Kursk, they will qualify directly for the Europa League. If Spartak win, they'll qualify for Europe because they're already in the top five and are very unlikely to drop out of it. Then the place will go to the sixth position in the league. So there's still a little bit of tender hooks as to whether it's going to happen. You know, they might slip up against Tosno. They might then slip up against Shinik or Avangard in the final. But it's looking likely that Spartak, you know, the money is on Spartak to win the cup at this point with the uh, potential fixtures ahead of them. Um, and yes, yeah, so that, that would then obviously uh, open up sixth place um, in the league. Uh, you've got Ufa and Arsenal with the top two candidates at the moment uh, on 34 and 32 points. And then there's a whole host of clubs, uh, as you've rightly listed, between, I think, 29 and 27 points at the moment uh, in the chasing pack. A couple of those with a game in hand that could go up to 30 points, um, which obviously would still leave them four points uh, shy of Ufa, who are currently occupying sixth place. Um, but anything can happen. There's still six, seven games left of the season, uh, and it's going to be an interesting race uh, while they're still, because I think, I'm not actually sure whether the uh, cup game is played before or after the end of the league season. Uh, if it's played before the end, then it definitely... Uh, leaves a lot to play for if Spartak do go ahead and win it. So, uh, James, I'll come to you on this then. We, as David mentioned, we've got Ulfar in sixth on 34 at the moment. I'll just give the rundown, actually, as, da- as David says. Uh, Arsenal in, on 32, then Ural on 29, Rubin on 28, and then Ahmad, Dinamo and Rostov all tied on 27. So, and that goes down to 12th in the league, by the way. So Rostov, while they're still in the European hunt, they're also in a bit of a relegation scrap. So there's certainly two battles going on there. But um, so would you say that, I mean, personally, I'm thinking Ufar have had such a good season that I, I would put them as favourites. Yeah, without a doubt. I think the biggest news for Ufar has just been that it was today as well. And so I guess Max just signed a new two-year contract with the club, which is absolutely massive for them. The way the impact he has had since... He took over from Goncharenka and his first managerial job has been unbelievable. Ufa obviously play the same blueprints. The, the, David's got a brilliant article on the site about how the one of the most smartly run clubs in football, they the run to the same, they'll go around, the scout all over, weird leagues, weird players, bring them in, train them up and make them a name. They brought Semak in to stick to their blueprint and bring them forwards and he's done that absolutely wonderfully so far just by defending compactly, I guess, as David wrote in the piece, defend deep, he puts his trust in youth. Um, but I think one of the most interesting players actually in the UFA team is Dmitry Stotsky, who's just one of the most versatile players I've seen play in Russia. He's played all the way across the midfield and in the forward line. And I just can't personally see past UFA apart from maybe maybe the Arsenal Tula with Artem Zubas, little renaissance that he's going through at the moment. And then looking further down, I, I, I think Ahmad and Rostov have both got to be looking over the shoulder, if I'm perfectly honest. I think they're, they're in huge danger because they're poor form. I think Ahmad have won in six games. And they're only actually two points clear of Amkar, who I'm, I said earlier on the podcast, I was certain to go get relegated at one point. So I don't think it's quite as wide open as it was once. I think Ufa have obviously got that massive... Massive advantage to two points ahead of Arsenal, and there's five between Ural and Ufa. So I think it's kind of a case now of if Spartak win the cup, we're going to see either Ufa or Arsenal Tula in Europe. 
And uh, I think both would do Russian football proud. And both would be fascinating being there, especially Ufa. I'd love, to, I'd just love to see Ufa in in the Europa League group stages next season in the little club from Bashkortostan, just mixing it up with all these <laughs> Western European greats and everyone just thinking, who are they? And then go to Ufa and hopefully they'll beat them because they're just so well run. And everything about that club is just so likeable at the moment. Could be a bit of a, a Rubin against Barcelona situation, maybe. Hopefully, um, David. Just to just to clear up what you're saying earlier, um, the cup final I've just looked it up is on the 9th of May, uh, on a Wednesday. Is the logic of Russian football? You have the cup final in midweek, obviously ridiculous, uh, and then the final weekend of the season is the is the following weekend. All to play for them. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, would you would you put Ufa as your favourites? I mean, because I know I said Ufa are favourites, but again, Arsenal have been impressive this season as well. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a soft spot for Ufa, so as well as thinking they are going to be the favourites, I also am really wanting them to get into Europe. Um, I think, obviously, they uh, Ufa lost at the weekend against Zenit. There was a few of us uh, at RFN who thought they were going to cause an upset there, and had they done so, would have been within two points of fifth place even. Uh, they, were, they were really actually quite close to the top five in that sense, if they'd, if they'd managed to cause an upset there. Um but as James said, you know, they are they have just a very solid core. They've actually been without um, one of the best players, Sylvester Boone, uh, since uh, since the restart of the season as well. Um, so the fact that they've sort of been able to carry on their form without without that uh, without him playing up front is is admirable. Obviously, Austin Tula have been boosted by the by uh, Juba coming in and putting in a few goals, but they did lose at the weekend to Dinamo. So it just shows they're not completely invincible at this stage, uh, having lost to a lower rival, whereas Ufa lost to Zenit, who are obviously one of the top teams. Uh, as James said, you know, they're, Ufa are very well run on the pitch. They've got a very solid uh, team of Russians and foreign players, young and old. Uh, they're very well managed by Semak, and they've got very good staff and, uh, you know, how the club is run behind the scenes. Uh, their general director and the scouting system's terrific. Um, yeah, I think I think they can be the team to do it, and if they do, I'd be delighted um, if they can. I mean, Arsenal Tula potentially would have better support in Europe. Um, but I actually do have a soft spot for Arsenal as well. They have very good home support. Uh, they're always filling out their stadium uh, with you know twenty twenty thousand, I would say, at their peak. Whereas Ufa do struggle to fill their Nitanyuk. Uh, I think they usually hit at their peak they can hit up to about nine or ten thousand hopefully european football would change that somewhat but uh who knows you know uh but it would just be nice to see if we do it you know they've got such a such a good ethic about them you know they brought through zinchenko a couple of years ago and now he's you know he's off playing with uh, the team who are going to win the premier league and they've got another few young players coming through um who could make their mark in europe next season should they make it and looking at some of the more established names james here um, because we, I mean it's quite interesting that Ufa and Arsenal not I mean they obviously they're going to be established in the league this season they'll be fine but generally they're not established Russian Premier League clubs and I'm looking at uh, Dinamo I know they're only promoted but we can I think we can call them an established club given their history and then Ahmad yeah. they've both got games in hand so that could be huge yeah definitely with Dinamo Dinamo getting together a good little form at the moment as well they haven't lost in five games they won three of the last five uh, they defeated Arsenal, as you mentioned earlier, at the weekend. And 
Dinamo just they've, they've always been strong defensively all season. Anton Schoenen, uh Rykov, Sebastian Holman, Tony Sunjic, whoever's playing in the back five, uh, four defenders and goalkeeper, they're always solid. But losing at the very start of the season, uh, Kirill Panchenko was such a massive hit to Dinamo and it cannot be underestimated. But he's now back not fully fit, but he's he made his first couple of he made his first game back at the start start of the weekend against Arsenal. And they've, they've also brought in uh Georgi Markov and Fyodor Chelnik. And Chernik got his first Dinamo goal the weekend against Arsenal as well. I, think, I believe it was for a penalty. And they brought these in. They've got they've got the two they've got the star man back and they're finally starting to score goals again. I mean they've only scored twenty two, which is what the the fourth fifth fifth lowest scorers in the division. But they've got momentum, and there's always one who rises from low. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dinamo did rise and did push Ufar and Arsenal a little bit more. Uh, Akhmat, I've, <laughs> I'm probably the most biased person in the RFN team against Akhmat Glozny. Uh, just, I think they're a club run by a despot, and I believe that giving them any praise whatsoever would be wrong, despite the fact they are actually quite well run. So... I'm completely and utterly biased against them, but I've been very disappointed. I, I like Galactianov, the manager. I think it's an interesting appointment. But since first four or five games, maybe they've just, just been very, very disappointed and very underwhelming. And even at the weekend, they played Skar Kavalovsk at home and drew nil nil. This is Skar Kavalovsk, the team who had a 0.08 XG against Spartak a couple of weeks ago. So I, I can't really see Akhmat getting anywhere up there any other the race for sixth, if I'm perfectly honest. So we're, we're, are we all going for Ufar as our favourites then, I think, just sort of round that topic off? Yeah. Yes. Yes, for me as well. Perfect. And just to finish the podcast, I just think I'd quite like to do a bit of any other business, really. A um, couple of things. Um, James, you pointed this out to me. The, the, I think it was yesterday you pointed it out. So Dinamo St. Petersburg, the, the second team in St. Petersburg, we're not counting Tosna because they're not a proper St. Petersburg team. <laughs> there are rumours of them moving to Sochi uh, in the near future. And we, we both think this is a terrible idea, basically, don't we? Oh, yeah, it's awful. I mean, Dinamo St. Petersburg are a more historic club than Zenit. They may not be anywhere near as successful as Zenit, but Dinamo are just as historic, if not more. They were They were before the 1980s. They are a lot more successful. Yeah, I mean, they, were, they were the first club as well. They were the first club in St. Petersburg. And to see them have to move. I mean, Rotenberg's in discussions with the RFU and with the representative parties in Sochi to move down there. But this is... I can't... He's obviously seeing it from a typically Rotenberg point of view, which is incredibly short-sighted. He sees that Sochi's a, a, a possible breeding ground for a new football culture, having no professional team. He possibly sees it as a bigger stadium. I mean, obviously, Dinamo don't even play in St. Petersburg at the moment. There's a bigger stadium with dollar signs in his eyes, or ruble signs in his eyes, for all the possible attendance. But I think he's completely and utterly overestimating the passion for football in that area. There just isn't any. That's why there isn't a successful... The, that's why there isn't the clamour for a successful professional team right there the clamour is because they want to try and desperately avoid the fish stadium become a white elephant but that stadium is not going to become a white elephant that's not the worry the worry is Baltica the worry is Novgorod. it's in Silansk that's the stadiums that are going to become white elephants this one's completely fine it's got the it's, it's a tourist resort with the, winter, the home of the Winter Olympics there'll be concerts there there'll be 
huge sporting events there that the Fish Stadium is going to be fine. So why this ridiculous situation is coming up in the first place, I would never know. And it would actually be a shame to force Dinamo out of St. Petersburg while Zenit 2 and Tosna, the team created five years ago and don't even anywhere near St. Petersburg, would make them go all the way to Sochi. So it's just, a, once again, just highlights the sorry state of Russian football at the moment. I mean, David. What, I mean, I've just, just actually, James. Have you, have you been to Sochi, by the way, James? No, I haven't ever been to Sochi. No, no. It's, it's a nice part of the world. But as you say, you perfectly say there is basically a tourist resort, and you've got the Winter Olympics there. And actually, the other thing that's right in, in the Sochi site isn't quite the stadium, but the F1 track is there. So in terms of local economy, I don't think they're going to be particularly struggling in terms of sport and hosting events. But David, I mean, your thoughts on this here, this this potential move. I don't think there's much more to add. I think James has uh, covered it all pretty well. I mean, obviously, James mentioned that you know some of the other stadia, you know, surrounds might be white elephants, but at least they have professional-ish teams there. You've got Moldova at surrounds. There's Olympia, Nizhny Novgorod, Volgorod, Havrotor. So there are teams there. Obviously, not at the Premier League level, but there are teams there. Uh, Baltica, obviously, and Kaliningrad are potential promotion candidates this season so that that's that would be nice if they did go up actually to uh, to give the stadium a bit more relevance um but Sochi obviously without any team at all could struggle um I think it would just be nice maybe if you know you'd just had an investor create a team for Sochi rather than really relocating a team to Sochi uh, it'd be nice you know if they can create Tosno if they can create FCU for nine years ago if they can create Krasnar 10 years ago why can't they create FC Sochi and have that stadium used for the new team. I personally don't see the clamour for a football team in Sochi. But um, let's move on to sort of the other, any other business topic, if you like. And that is uh, Krasnodar's new manager. And that is uh, Murad Masayev, who's been in the academy for, uh, I think it's the best part of 10, is it six years, David, he's been there, do you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was six years I read. Yeah, obviously replaced Igor Shalimov, who's... Been, let's be honest, you've been walking the plank for about two years now, I think. So, what are your thoughts on this, David? It's an interesting one because Shalimov also came up uh, as an academy manager to become first team manager, and obviously uh, it didn't work out for him. So, we're interesting to see if Musayev making the same move uh, can make it work. Obviously, when Shalimov came up, there was no real youth players coming through from his academy at that time, whereas as Musayev comes through, they've had two or three debuts from the academy this season with um, Suleimanov, Safonov, uh, Ignatiev, Zhigulov, who's then gone out on loan to Tosna. And there are others who are highly rated coming through at the moment. So it'd be interesting to see whether he looks to give them a chance. Krasnodar already have a very good, solid first-team squad uh, with very good depth. So there might not necessarily be a need for it. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see if he does you know make make the move to promote any talents up for the moment um whether he gets the the respect of uh, of the first team is going to be a big one isn't it i mean he's he's only young he's 35 i think uh, he's the second youngest manager in the division now uh and with no experience managing uh, a top flight club it, it's a little bit of a risk i mean crest are, are relatively safe um there is a chance obviously that 
if they've gone a run of form and Cresnar don't, that they can swap roles. I think there's uh, maybe five points between the two sides at the moment. Um, but they should be okay. They have got the quality there to hopefully maintain a top five spot. So it's a relatively risk-free appointment uh, until the end of the season where they can then potentially change their mind if, if it's not going so well or they can keep them on if it has gone well. I mean, it's worth mentioning as well that uh, Musayev is actually from Krasnodar itself. And you mentioned first job in the Premier League, David. I think it was even his first first team job, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Well, even more so. Yeah. Um, but James, is this? we've talked a lot about Krasnodar sort of making that next step. Is this the kickstart they need? Yeah. It's this the Krasnodar experiment with Galitsky is not just exciting, but it's it's I think it's the way forward for Russian football. I mentioned earlier we need root and stem uh, reform, and part of that root and stem and reform is the academy system. There essentially isn't an academy system. The uh, Toker and Ilya uh, towards Chukasovo, uh, I think it was last year, year before, and all that the the local like the people involved in the academy could be bothered to show them was, oh, oh look at this when this under 21s t- team won this award and this under 19s team won this award and oh look they won this award. It's not actually about focus on the development of youth football in the nation. It's about the focus on the success of youth football in the nation. Krasnodar are one of the only teams who look away from that. They realise that through development comes success and the two are by nature completely interconnected and completely intertwined. This is very exciting for me. It's, it's not just another appointment of, oh, let's go and get the old boys club, one of Karpin or Skripchenko or Gregorian or whoever else. The same old managers get recycled from club to in, club out, year in, year out. They've looked ahead. Galitsky's got a plan. It's a long-term plan. He knows exactly what he wants out of his team. He knows exactly how he wants them to play. And Masayev has been doing that with the youth with the youth teams for the last six years to great success. Unbelievable success. 30, 30-odd thousand people went to go see Krasnodar play Real Madrid. And it was the youth league. It was under-19s under or under-21s, I believe. Just imagine four or five years' time. I think he mentioned... Galitsky said in his press conference, when, or the interview show, whatever it was, it was strange, uh, when he announced Messiah, was, he wanted a group, a core influx of youngsters to be coming through exactly the same time. Not just one or two here or there. Not just a, the the odd little youth product. He wanted it to kind of be like a Chertanovil Krasnodar, where it's it's going to be developed from within. And I think it's really exciting for Russian football. I think we're quite lucky that it, it is a Rus- in, in Russia, because this is what, if it's successful, and I hope it is successful more than anything else in the nation right now, because we can look at that and see that there is a pathway to success that isn't just about either spending a hell of a lot of money or just blindly hoping for the best, like a lot of Russian teams always do. I think that pretty much rounds us off then, chaps. So thanks again for your for your fantastic contribution. But actually, just before we go, because we haven't been on for a while, I'm going to allow you to plug yourselves. So, uh, David, um, Twitter handle, any other sort of plugs you want to give? Uh, my Twitter is at horrorfen underscore David. Uh, simple enough. Uh, that's the only plug I want to give out at the moment. Okay, well, I'm going to plug the the piece you did on the race for sixth. You oh, can find that sure. on yeah. Well, I'm going to plug it on you because you're too too modest, and uh, you can find that on the Russian Football News website. That of course is RussianFootballNews.com. And uh, James, your Twitter handle? Yeah, that's at James Nichols. It's uh, N I C K E L S. And then we've got a few good pieces coming up on the site soon as well. 
especially ahead of the match tomorrow night. We've got uh, the Siska Moscow, a brief history of Siska from talk, from the editor-in-chief Toka. Uh, once David's got a once to watch on the exciting Konstantin Kachayev. And then tomorrow we're going to have up on the site, uh, myself, I've got a preview of the game, the usual European preview. And David and Richard David Pike as well has also got a and everything you need to know about Siska Moscow. So we've got four exciting pieces, all all uh, looking forward to the match tomorrow. So we need to everyone go on the site for everything you need to know and have a little look around. Given all the preparation you've done for the match, I guarantee it's now going to be nil nil. sorry but um but yeah that but that's yeah so like james says lots of good pieces coming up on the website russianfootballnews.com uh russian football news facebook page you can join in the predictions league which of course is uh sort of entering the final straight in is andrew's uh andrew flint's i was gonna say love child but i don't think that quite sounds right but you know what i mean but uh and the the twitter is uh at russ football news you can uh follow us on there for all the latest updates on russian football do of course uh subscribe to this podcast and you know recommend it to your friends and everything and let's have it grow a bit more because we we love a bit of that and also if you have any questions for future podcasts do of course uh, let us know message the russian football news team or any one of uh, the writers on the website and we'll we'll put your question forward that'd be fantastic so uh thank you for listening to this edition and we will see you on the next one Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.